Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. We've been focusing on fighting the good fight of faith, and uh, it's man month at, uh, at Dogwood Church, but actually everybody else gets to be a part as well. We've been, um, guys, we, we have been opening God's Word to see uh, just a portion of what God says to us as men uh, uh, of, of His original blueprint for a man. Uh, who who we came from, why we're here, how we're to live, where we're going, what our responsibilities are, what God expects of us, and, um, and how to step it up. We have um, uh, gone to God's blueprints in Genesis 1 through 3. We have uh, seeing what God has to say about how to fight for your wife, not with her. In Ephesians chapter 5, we've gone to the Scriptures to see how God the Father models for us some of the characteristics of a high-impact father in our responsibility to our children and really all children that we impact. Um, and so last week and this week, we've been focusing on one of the big issues, and that's the issue of temptation. Uh, really, last week and this week's one sermon, it just taken two weeks to unload. And uh, so we're going to jump in on the issue of how to fight the good fight and win uh, over temptation. So grab your note sheet, grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be running through several passages here, uh, but I want you to capture the references so that you can go back and internalize them. Check them out on your own to make sure I'm on track. You should do that. And um, so here we, here we go. We discovered last week that there are three sources of temptation in the life of a man. And we gave them all S's to help us remember. Society, self, and Satan. Now, uh, there's a passage in the Scripture that describes these three as the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we're going to take a look at those today because it's not just enough to, uh, to do something when we are tempted it's important that we do the right thing if we're going to win the fight. We need to know God's ways of facing temptation. And he, He's very clear in His Word. Uh, he tells us how, not only what to do, why to do it, how to uh, do this thing. Again, that's why I say I, I can't plead with you enough to begin to devour the Bible to memorize it, to meditate on it, to read it through and through and through, to soak in it, to study it, to wrestle with the meaning because it's somewhat of a closed book. We, we have to, we're interpreting ancient documents that God inspired. It is His very word, written Word. And uh, the Scriptures again say, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So one of the reasons, men, that we consistently lose when we are tempted is we just don't know what God has to say about it in His Word. So we're going to jump in there today. Let's look at those three sources. And the first one, the first source of temptation we want to uh, uh, revisit is society. Society. Now, uh, the Bible uh, describes society sometimes by calling it the world. The world. And here's a, a good definition. It's not the only definition, but here's a good definition of what we're 
describing. We're describing when we say the world or when we say society as the without, specifically as with the without God philosophy and influence uh, that rules on this earth. Now, the Bible uses the word world or the phrase the world at least two ways. Uh, many times, especially in the Old Testament, certainly in um, the first book of the Bible, the Bible uses that phrase, the world, to describe creation, all of the created order of the universe and, and that God uh, made. Other times, particularly over in the New Testament, this phrase is used to describe this without God, or actually not just without God, the anti-God the anti-Christ, the against God, the against Christ philosophy and value and influence that we find in society and in this culture. That's what it means uh, here, and that's what we're going to be dealing with. Now, obviously, you know that the general direction, the general influence, the general thought and value system of our society, of our culture, the predominant one is, is anti the will and the ways of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? Would you agree? Even if you don't, it is. It's against, it's against it. It's, it's kind of obvious. It's one of the most obvious realities of the, of the day. I, I, the world, all kind of examples. Here's a few sh just quick ones. Uh, the culture says, the anti-God culture, the world, the society says, the more you have, the happier you will be. Now, we, we here who live in the Magic Kingdom of Fayette County, Peachtree City, Tyrone, Coweta County, we, we bought into that, really in America, hook, line, and sinker. The more you have, the happier you'll be. Uh, the world says, if you don't look out for yourself, no one else will. It says, do unto others before they do unto you. It says, uh, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, it must be good. Well, just three quick examples of what I'm talking about. You get the idea. In the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 16, we find this passage. Read it out loud with me. Would you? Let's jump in. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 16. Let's get that up on the screen. Next slide. There we go. Ready? Here we go. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now again, I have to, have to remind you, not from the world. He's not speaking of creation, the good things of creation. He's describing the world thought and value system that is anti-Christ. And so here are the big three, the big three temptations. Cravings for possessions lust after our passions, and boasting in our pride, boasting in what we do or have. Uh, these are the big three at the center of the way that society's culture and value system think and operate, and it puts huge and effective pressure on you and on me to conform. And God warns us about this conformity. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. It was interesting, a few years ago I went to a big conference. There was about 8,000 people there, and the speaker was going to get up and speak about this thing about conformity, and uh, they gave everybody T-shirts, all 8,000 of them, that said, do not conform. I thought, wait a minute, this is weird. Everybody's wearing, the, yeah. But um, 
we have tremendous pressure to conform to the world's thought and value system. Uh, what he's saying here is this. Don't let society, the anti-God, anti-Christ thought and value system, press you into its mold. For there is a constant pressure on you, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, what you value, to, to put you right there, to put me right there. So what do we do about it? What's our strategy? What's the biblical strategy for winning uh, over the world thought system and its temptations? Well, a biblical strategy is always expressed in terms of a choice that we make. It's something we choose. God gave you the ability to choose. Human beings get to choose. And it, it, they're always uh, described as a choice. Well, uh, our strategy for winning over society's temptations is this one. Love the Lord. You choose to love the Lord. Let's look back at this same passage, 1 John, but expand it by two verses, one on either side of verse 16. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, again, kids especially, remember, don't love the world, don't love creation, don't love my mama. No, 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 no. He's saying, don't love the world thought and value system that is anti-Christ. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful people, the lust of their eyes, and their boasting about what they have and do comes not from God the Father, but from the culture, society the world thought and value system that is anti-Christ. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Our strategy to win over temptation that comes from the world is to love the Lord. We need a greater love in our lives than the things of this world. The reason that you and I and every person fall into the society's ways of thinking and living is because we love the things that are uniquely of this world. Now again, I'm, I have to keep hammering this because it's, I, there's a tendency to misinterpret this and say anything that's somebody that's in the culture and this world is not of value. No, no, no. God created much that is morally neutral and blessed mankind with it. Morally neutral all the way to overtly Christian. We're to thoroughly enjoy in this world and value. But the things that are anti-Christ, we are not to do. Uh, the cravings for possessions, the lust after our physical passions, the boasting of what we have and do, accomplishment, achievement, ambition, what I have and what I, what I do. We get in trouble because we love those things. Why do we love them? Because we, we think, if I can just have one or more of those things, one or more of these things, then I will be happy then I will be content. Then people will like me. Then people will admire me. Then, then life will be good. I will have success. We think that's what will satisfy our souls. We love them because we think they will make us happy, bring us contentment, cleanse and beautify our lives. Even we Christians sometimes forget the gospel and that only Jesus can satisfy your soul. We, we forget that. And so then we begin to pursue these things of the world. We begin to believe that we need something in addition 
to Jesus and His acceptance and His salvation to cleanse our life, to beautify our life, to make us, make us happy. And so we begin to pursue those. And we create idols. One, one old Christian writer said that our heart is an idol factory. An idol factory. So how, how do I, how do, it's why God's, the very first commandment is what? Can anybody tell me? First, you know, God's top ten list. Okay, it's, it's, um, it's something about what some of you said there. It, it's, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. That means you shall have no other idols. What is an idol? Here's a good practical working definition for you and me. Anything that I'm willing to disobey God in order to have or be and do is a god. In practically in my life, it becomes an idol. Anything that I am willing to disobey God to be or do or have is an idol. Is an idol. And so we, we these cravings of the flesh, the lust for things, the boastful pride of life. We said, "Oh, I, I got to have this too. This person or this this that. becomes an idol in our life." Well, we don't have to have those things when we have Jesus. And we are fully accepted and forgiven by God through Him. We have everything. We don't need anything else to cleanse and beautify our lives. He is all we need to make life full and meaningful and fulfilling. No, no thing and no one. So the only, the only way to escape the temptation, the allure of the temptations of society, of the culture, of the world thought and value system that is anti-God is to find something that we love greater. And the only one to fulfill that is the Lord Jesus Himself. We choose to love the Lord. We need a greater love than these. Now, a great love in our lives um, does not develop overnight. We choose to pursue uh, a great love. The depth of love for the Lord is not developed in an instant. No great love is. As we spend time with Him and get to know Him better, we love Him more. Spend time with Him in prayer. Spend time with Him in His Word. Spend time remembering Him and His great love for us in that while we were still sinners, He died for us. Remembering that He first loved us and therefore it motivates us to love Him back. We think on these things. The way, this way of thinking and behaving uh, helps us grow to love Him more. And then we find that the, that the Cravings for possessions, the lust after our passions, and the boasting in what we do and have begin to become less and less important to us. Reminds me of the chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. There's a lot in that little chorus. And that, that's what he's describing in this course. Wait a minute. Turn your eyes on Jesus, His great love, even while we were still sinners, His death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, the fact that He has declared us just in God the Father's eyes through faith in Him, given us the Holy Spirit, adopted us as His child, given us a home uh, with Him in eternity, taken away guilt in this life. I love the... Uh, the, the the, the words of the hymn, the, the, uh, 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 the power of Christ, 
This is no guilt in life, no fear in death. We remember all that He's done as we keep thinking of Him and drawing near to Him and pursuing Him, the, the things of earth, of the world, of the thought and value system that is anti-Christ become strangely dim. Why do you say it's strangely dim? It's because several other billion people on the planet are running headlong toward them. They're all they can see. It's all we can see. This would be wonderful. What do you mean you don't want to pursue this? It seems strange that these things would become no longer essential for us. But that's the strategy. We love the Lord. Here's the second source of temptation. Let's deal with this one. It is self. Self. Now the Bible describes self as sometimes it says um, deny self. Sometimes it calls us uh, calls it the old self or the old life. Sometimes it describes it as the flesh. The flesh. Uh, here's a good definition. Self or the flesh is described as our spiritual disposition to sin. It's that that thing in us that that even bodily tendency that that framework in us that is so receptive to and prone toward sin. It's, it's in us. And God's in the, in, in the business of renovating our hearts and changing us, those of us who are in Christ, but it's, it's within us. Uh, that's why Jesus said one time to a group of people, hey, it's not what a man takes in that defiles him. It's what's in his heart, what comes out that defiles that You're already defiled. There's this stuff in us. We have our own tendency toward sin. Sometimes we are, you know, it's... Anybody here old enough that you used to read the comics in the Sunday section of the newspaper? About six of us. Do you remember Pogo? you remember his most famous quote? We have met the enemy and he is us. Remember that one? Yeah. The enemy's us. We're our own worst enemy. Self. What do we do with that? Now, here's another instance where the Bible uses the same word a couple, I mean a couple of different things. Sometimes you see the the term the flesh in the Bible, and it's referring to flesh and bone. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 39, speaking of our physical bodies. In John chapter 1, verse 14, speaking of Jesus taking on flesh and dwelling among us, taking on a human body, becoming human. Uh, sometimes the Bible uses the word term the flesh to speak of, of our bodies. Other times it means... Our, this disposition toward sin this uh, describes it sometimes as the sinful nature, our flesh. Now, this is important. So what's our biblical strategy for winning over the flesh, the temptations that come through the flesh? We actually have two strategies to win, two choices to make, and they both come from the same passage of Scripture. Here are the choices. Here are the choices we have. Serve one another and live by the Spirit. Serve one another and live by the Spirit. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 16. Let me read it to you. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature or the flesh or yourself. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, our choices are made perfectly clear here in this 
in this passage. The Apostle Paul, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, is writing to a group of believers uh, in the churches in the region of Galatia, warning them against the temptation to indulge ourselves, to indulge our flesh, to indulge our tendency toward sin. And he says, here are your alternatives. You can do one or the other. You can either indulge yourself or you can serve others. You can either live for yourself or you can live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. If you and I don't choose to serve others in love, we will end up being selfish. There's no, there's no in-between. We're either serving others in love or we are t- we've turned inward and serving ourselves, being selfish. If we don't learn to live by the Holy Spirit's power and guidance, our plan will always default to some means of pleasing ourselves. Always. Now, the secret to winning over ourself, our flesh, our sinful nature, our disposition to sin is not to try to stop being selfish. Well, I'm going to try to not be selfish. I'm just going to stop being selfish. That's not it. That's not the the strategy He gives us. The strategy He gives is not to try to stop being selfish, but to choose to start serving others. This is part of what it means when the Bible says we overcome evil with good. He doesn't say overcome evil by trying to stop. We can't. We've got to replace it with something. Overcome evil with good. Stop serving yourself by serving others in love. It's a choice that we make. Whether we feel like it or not, loving actions and our emotions and our feelings catch up. Remember what Jesus taught? Hadn't told you in about a year. It's easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of acting. We choose to serve others. Uh, the secret to winning over ourself, our flesh, our sinful nature is not in trying to stop following the desires of our flesh, but instead to start following the leadership and guidance of God the Holy Spirit on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day uh, basis. We overcome evil with good. We overcome evil with good. So we can win the fight of faith over temptation by uh, like following biblical strategies like choosing to love the Lord over the world, uh, choosing to serve one another and live by the Spirit. Third source of temptation. Ready? Write this one down. Satan. Now some of you newcomers here up until this point were thinking I was a reasonably normal intelligent person. They are saying, do you really, are you really going to talk about Satan? I mean, don't you know, didn't they? He was a big joke on Saturday Night Live for years, the church lady, you know, remember her? You know, you, you really believe that? Yes, I do. And here's why. How in the world can you account for the horrific level of evil in the world apart from a being like Satan? I don't think you can. Besides that, another reason I believe in Him is, the, is Jesus believed in Him and told us about Him in His Word. Third reason is my mama told me there was one. And she's never been wrong on these things. Satan, let me define him. Satan is an angel. 
a powerful spiritual being, a creation of God who fell from heaven due to pride. He's been given limited freedom to influence uh, the earth for a time and he seeks to destroy all that is of God and belongs to God, including your life. Including your life. Now, Satan has power, but he's limited in his power. Satan is not the opposite of God. There is no equal to God. He is a created being. He is not all-powerful. He is not ever-present. He is not all-knowing. He has power, but he's also foolish, stupid. Not that he's not intelligent, but he was foolishly stupid in the thought that he could rebel against God the Father. And he did it all because of pride. And so why else would he have done such a thing? He is condemned to suffer God's judgment for eternity that is coming he will not the pictures are satan rules hell god rules heaven uh 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 satan's going to hell he will not rule hell he will suffer in the eternal lake of fire with his angels forever god prepared it for him uh, he himself will suffer punishment he is the evil one and although he will not get any pleasure out of you or any others being in hell. He'd rather have you suffering in hell where He is than you get to be in heaven in God's presence. And so He seeks to destroy you. And He's darn good at it. He's darn good at it. Now, we shouldn't be too frightened of of Satan. uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said one one of the spiritual tools against Satan is to make fun of him because he's, so, he's fundamentally proud. He can't stand to be mocked. And so Martin Luther would just make fun of him. You know, you are going to hell forever, and I'm not. And, you know, I mean, just, I mean, just may, so he's such a proud being. But listen to this. Dr. J.I. Packer, the great theologian, wrote these words. On the one hand, we can take Satan too seriously as some in the early church in the Middle Ages did. This will cause us to fall out of the peace of God into morbid fears and fancies. On the other hand, we can err by not taking the devil seriously enough. Unwillingness to take the devil seriously has two bad effects. It fools men by keeping them from the knowledge of their danger as objects of the devil's attacks, and it dishonors Christ by robbing the cross of its significance as a conquest of Satan and his hosts. So, what's our biblical strategy against the temptations that come from Satan? Here it is. Put on, write this down, put on spiritual armor. Put on spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Jot jot this down. I'm not sure that it's in your notes there, but here, let me read through this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, 
with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So, what is this armor? We find here the Apostle Paul uh, using a picture of the armor of a Roman soldier, which is such, was such a common picture to the people in the known world of that day. And he uses the different pieces of the Romans' armor as metaphors for some of the spiritual defenses that serve as armor or as defenses against the devil's schemes and attacks on our lives. So don't focus so much on pictures of helmets and breastplates and, and, and belts. Uh, when my kids were little, some toy company came out with a, a, a toy, a little plastic suit of Roman armor, and it was called, you know, the, you know, the spiritual armor of God. Well, that, I get the point. It's probably a mistake. It's got all these little boys running around thinking that, the, you know, you think, it's, okay, you just put on armor. No, 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 no. By the way, kids don't get metaphors. You know that. They're literal like us men. And so, um, but don't think of that. Just think of the seven defenses that God gives us against the schemes of, of the devil. And so you leave any one of them out, then you're open to attack. Here they are. Truth, righteousness, readiness to share the good news, faith, salvation, God's Word, prayer. Uh, now, truth means God's truth. If you are not finding God's truth, if you're not in the Word, if you're not in a, in a life group where you're working through the Word of God together, if you're not coming to worship services and hearing the, the God's Word taught and explained, if you're not reading and internalizing and memorizing God's Word for yourself, what, uh, letting God define your identity, letting God define who you are, letting God define what this world is all about and what's really going on in life and time and eternity, where are you going to get it? Where are you going to get it? Vast, vast, vast thousands of people in our culture uh, have no source of truth other than what they, their own opinion. How's that working out? Not good. Not good. Truth. You've got to know God. It is one of the defenses, so pursue it intentionally. God's truth. Righteousness. This speaks first and foremost of the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. It just means that we, through faith in Christ, have what the theologians call imputed righteousness, legal righteousness out there, up there in God the Father's courtroom. Through faith in Christ, He declared you to be holy and fully accepted by Him based on nothing we brought to the table, based solely on the work of Jesus when He died on the cross and rose from the dead, and our trust in Him to be our substitute, to be our Lord and our God. 
He treats us as if we were Jesus because He treated Jesus as if He were us. That means, He says, you are fully justified in My presence. You are fully united with Me. You are, you are fully accepted by Me because of the cross of Christ. And we stand in that righteousness. We, we, we believe it to be so. No matter how we feel on any given day, we believe it to be so. Now, also, the, He begins to work in us through that righteousness so that we actually live in a manner that reflects that righteousness more and more. Uh, readiness to share the good news. We have so internalized the good news of Jesus Christ that we are ready to communicate that to people who don't yet know Christ in His salvation. Readiness to share the good news. Uh, faith. Faith in God. Now, let me give you a good working definition of faith. It is not the one the little boy gave us years ago in Sunday school when the teacher said, can anybody tell me what faith is? Yes, yes, yes. Faith is believing in something you know is not really true. That's not faith. I don't know what that is. Manly Beasley, uh, the, the, the great Bible teacher and revivalist, used to tell us, and it's still in his writings, Faith is living as if the Bible were actually true. That's about the best definition of faith I've ever seen. Paul, that's the best one. I, it's the best one. It's, it's, it's living as if this were true. I, I want to describe the benefits of the gospel one time to a young college student who was struggling with life and eternity, and I said, well, wait, wait a minute. so what if it were really true that Jesus had, when Jesus came and died on the cross, that, that He paid the full price and penalty for your sin? And not only that, when He rose from the dead, He broke the power of death in the grave so that if you put your trust in Him, He will completely forgive you of your sin. He will completely reconcile you to Himself, God the Father. He will give you the gift of eternal life there and abundant life here. He will give you His Holy Spirit to help you more and more become the person He wants you to be and live and do the things He wants you to do. That He'll guide you through life. He'll, you will be able to live under His care and supervision. This young lad said, what if that were really true? She said, I'd pee my pants. I said, that's not quite the response I was looking for. But she was serious, tears running down her face. She said, I would, I would change everything. Why? If, if that were really true, it would change everything. Guess what? It is. Faith is living and believing as if what God says in His Word is reality. But this is not all there is. Having faith in, in Him and His Word. Salvation, wrapping our mind in this salvation. And, and that's what I mean by preaching the gospel to yourself every day. God's Word, hiding His Word in our hearts. Prayer, pray, pray, pray. And so how, how do we put on armor? We put on spiritual armor spiritually. How many of you, you know, a lot of us have been in this club a long time, the church, and you were raised hearing some of the old great hymns. Remember the hymn, 
How many of you know, stand up, stand up for Jesus? You know that hymn? Okay. There's a line in one of the verses there that describes this, tells us how to put on spiritual armor. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with... Yeah. Prayer. You had it right. You could have been more confident in that. You could have been a little more confident. You put it on by praying. You put it on by praying. You rehearse this in prayer to God. Lord, uh, today, as I start this day, give me the protection of Your truth. Let Your truth lead me and guide me and set me free in all the realms of life. Uh, Lord, protect me with Your righteousness. Thank You that You have declared, You have made me the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm completely reconciled to You. Now, turn me into the kind of person who lives in moral and spiritual and legal and ethical uprightness and integrity. Uh, today. Lord, give me uh, your willingness and power of your Spirit to share the gospel with people and order my steps so that I spend my time doing exactly what you want me to do today. I, I ask for greater faith to live as if your word is actually true, to trust in you to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. I thank you for the salvation you've given me in Christ, and that while I was still a sinner, you died for me. I'm amazed at you. Uh, Lord, help me to read and study and memorize and meditate upon and, and act upon your word and help me to pray, pray, pray without ceasing. I'll pray for everybody that you bring to mind. Pray for everything that I face to be praying with, with you constantly. And then you start your day. Now, the, the best time to warm up for a game is not when the game is over, right? The best time to warm up before a game is before the game. So the best time to put on the gospel armor is when you get up in the morning and before you go into the day, not when it's over with. And he says here, when you will live your life that way with me, when the smoke clears at the end of each day, you'll be standing. Pray with me. Some of you have no defenses against society, self, or Satan because you've been living life on your own and you're apart from Christ. I want to ask you now for the first time to turn from your sin and self-centeredness, your self-controlled life, and give up. Raise your white flag and surrender all that you are and all that you have and all of your sin, and all of your guilt, and all of your shame, to the best of your understanding, to Jesus Christ. Ask Him to be your Savior, your Lord, your God. Ask Him to come into your heart and life and make you His child, and to give you the spiritual defenses to fight the good fight and win over temptation. Take a moment and do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing these prayers. 
Thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us and come into our hearts and lives. Hundreds of us in this room know you and have become your followers and received your salvation. And we're amazed. We stand in awe of you, the one who gave his life while we were still sinners. And so, Lord, help us by your grace to call on your name. May you be the first name that we breathe when we wake up in the night watches and early in the morning. May you, Lord Jesus, your name be the one that we cry out to through the day when we're in the battle against temptation, serving your purposes. May you, Lord Jesus, be the name we call out to just before we go to sleep at night. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.